Chapter Fifteen of the Loudwater Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Loudwater Mystery by Edgar Jepson. Chapter Fifteen. Olivia came that night to her tryst with Gray in great dejection. She perceived clearly enough that the instant discharge of William Roper would not stop the scandal, and she was desperately afraid of the results of it. The hope which had sprung up in her mind on reading in the Daily Wire the story of her husband's quarrel with an unknown woman died down. This was a far more important matter, and she could not see how the police could fail to act on William Roper's story. She found Gray waiting for her with his wonted impatience, and presently told him about William Roper. This is the very thing I've been fearing, he said, with a sudden heaviness. It will certainly force Mr. Flexen's hand, she said. I don't know. I don't know, he said more hopefully. Flexen struck me as being the kind of a man to act just when it suited him, and I expect that he had known all along anything William Roper had to tell. Yes, he did. Twitcher told me that Roper had an interview with him on the afternoon after Egbert's death, she said, catching a little of his hopefulness. Well, if he hasn't done anything about it so far, there's no reason why he should act immediately. The story becomes common property, he said in a tone of relief. No, no, she said slowly, and then she sobbed once and cried, but oh, this waiting is so dreadful, never knowing what's going to happen, and when feeling that he's lying in wait all the time. It is pretty awful, he said, drawing her more closely to him and kissing her. She clung tightly to him, quivering. The only thing to do is stick it out, and when the time comes, if it comes, put up a good fight. I think we shall, he said, in a cheering tone. Of course we will, she said firmly, gave herself a little shake, and relaxed her grip a little. He kissed her again, and they were silent a while, both of them thinking hard. Then he said, Look here, let's get married. Get married? she said. Yes, the more we belong to one another, the better we shall feel. But won't there be rather an outcry at our marrying so soon? she said. Oh, if people knew of it, yes. But I don't propose that they should. We'll get married quite quietly. I'll get a special license. The padre of my regiment is in town, and he'll marry us. I can find a couple of witnesses who will hold their tongues. We can get married in twenty-four hours. Will you? Yes, she said firmly. His surprise at her ready assent was drowned in the joy it gave him. The next morning at half-past nine, Mr. Manley rang up Mr. Flexen at his office at Low Wycombe. When he heard his voice, he said, Good morning, Flexen. A young fellow of the name of William Roper will be calling on you this morning. I expect you know all he has to say already, but do you see anything to be gained by his making a pestiferous, scandal-mongering nuisance of himself? I do not. I will say a few kind words to him, said Mr. Flexen grimly. Mr. Manley thanked him and rang off. Then he sent Hutchings down to the village to let it be known that anyone who let William Roper lodge in his or her cottage would at once receive notice to quit it. He thought it improbable, in view of the general unpleasantness of William Roper, that he would be called on to carry out the threat. 
William Roper had already started to pay his visit to Mr. Flexen. Mr. Flexen kept him dangling his heels in his office for three quarters of an hour before he saw him. This cold welcome allowed much of William Roper's sense of his great importance in the district to ooze out of him. Mr. Flexen emptied him of all the rest of it. He greeted him curtly, heard his story with a deepening frown, and abused him at some length for a babbling idiot, and sent him about his business. William Roper returned to his mother's cottage to find that her only object in life was to get him out of her cottage then and there. She had conceived the idea that the whole affair was a plot to have a good excuse for giving her notice to leave that cottage. She knew well that it was the opinion of all its other inhabitants that the village would be much better without her and that there were very good grounds for it. William Roper perceived with uncommon clearness the truth of Mr. Flexen's assertion that he was a babbling idiot. His dream of outing William Hutchings from the post of head gamekeeper and filling it himself was forever shattered, and he had been the great man of the village for little more than fourteen hours, ten of which he had spent in sleep. He cursed the hour in which he had espied that luckless kiss, and too late perceived the folly of a humble gamekeeper's meddling with the affairs of those who own the game he keeps. The next morning Elizabeth observed that her mistress was another creature, almost her old self indeed. The air of strain and oppression had for the time being at any rate gone from her face. She moved with her old alertness. She even smiled at Elizabeth's strictures on the treacherous William Roper. After breakfast she bade Elizabeth pack a trunk for her, since she was going to London that afternoon and would spend the night, perhaps two or three days there. Also she chose, with frowning thoughtfulness and no little changing of mind, the frocks she would take with her, and discussed carefully with Elizabeth the changes necessary to give them a sufficiently mourning character. Elizabeth was indeed pleased with the change in her mistress. She ascribed it to the influence of Colonel Grey. In the afternoon Olivia went to London and drove from Paddington to Grey's flat. She found him awaiting her with the most eager expectation. He had bought that special license. The chaplain of his regiment and a wounded friend were coming at seven o'clock. After they were married, they would all four dine together, and later he and she would return to his flat. They had tea, and then he showed her some of the beautiful things, for the most part ivory and jade, which were his most loved possessions. She admitted frankly that she had to learn to appreciate and admire them as they deserved, but she was sure that she would learn to do so. She found the flat of a somewhat spartan simplicity after Loudwater Castle, Quainton Hall, and the houses to which she was used, but she also found that it had been furnished with a keen regard for comfort. In particular, she observed that the easy chairs, which were the chief furniture of the sitting-room, were the most comfortable she had ever taken her ease in. At seven o'clock the Padre and Sir Charles Ross, Gray's wounded friend, arrived. After they had talked for a few minutes, making Olivia's acquaintance, the Padre married them. Henderson, Gray's valet, a tall, spare Scot with rugged features, who in the course of his seven years' service had acquired 
in his manner and way of speaking a curious and striking likeness to his master was the second witness it was wholly characteristic of olivia that she felt no slightest need of the supporting presence of a woman yet for all the unfamiliar simplicity of the scene the ceremony did not lack dignity or impressiveness at the end of it olivia felt herself very much more the wife of antony gray than she had ever felt herself the wife of lord loudwater they dined in a private dining-room at the ritz and olivia found the dinner delightful the three men after some desultory talk about common friends and the ordinary london subjects fell to talking about their work and their fighting in france she was most pleased by the evident respect and admiration with which the other two regarded her husband it was a new experience for her to be married to a man for whom anyone showed respect at a few minutes past ten she and gray went home to his flat they preferred to walk olivia did not return to loudwater for three days gray did not return till the day after that then they again spent much of their time in the pavilion in the east wood and since olivia was careful not to replace william roper no one knew of their meetings every week they went to london for two days they lived in an absorption in one another which left them little time to be troubled by fears of the danger which hung over them the scandal about them ran the usual nine days course then since no new development of the loudwater case arose to give it a fresh active life it died down about a fortnight after their marriage mr manley retired from his post of secretary and went to london a few days later he married helena truslove at the office of a registrar and they established themselves in a furnished flat at clarence gate while they furnished a flat of their own mr manley found himself under the influence of domesticity the stimulation of life in london and the society of the intelligent writing his new play with all the ease and vigor he had expected mr flexen was beginning somewhat gloomily to think it probable that the problem of the death of lord loudwater would have to be set among the unsolved problems which have at different times baffled the police then before he had quite lost hope there came a letter from mr carrington it ran dear mr flexen i received this morning a letter from mrs marshall of three laburnum terrace low wycombe asking me as the agent of the present lord loudwater to have some repairs made to the house in which she is his lordship's tenant we have never handled this property we did not even know that it belonged to the late lord loudwater if you can find the man who managed it for him he may be able to give you the information you want yours faithfully c r w carrington in ten minutes mr flexen was at three laburnum terrace in a quarter of an hour he had learned that mrs marshall had paid her rent to mr shepherd of nine bolton street low wycombe in twenty minutes he had learned from mrs shepherd that her husband was in mesopotamia and that she had not heard from him for two months in half an hour from the time he read mr carrington's letter he was in the train on his way to london to get in touch with captain shepherd in that distant and backward land was a matter for scotland yard 
no acting chief constable would do so without considerable delay. He drafted the telegram in consultation with one of the commissioners, who himself set about the business of getting it through to Captain Shepard and receiving his answer to it. Then he returned to Low Wycombe. Three days later came a letter from Scotland Yard to inform him that Captain Shepard was in an out-of-the-way district in the north of Mesopotamia, and that there must be a delay of days before he received the telegram and sent his answer to it. Mr. Flexen possessed his soul in the patience of a man who was sure he was going to get what he wanted. A few days later, on a Saturday, his work took him to Loudwater, and he called on Olivia. He found her a different creature. She had lost her air of being under a strain, and save that her eyes were at first anxious, she showed herself wholly at her ease with him. He came away assuring himself that she was one of the most charming women he had ever met. He took it that she still met Colonel Grey in the pavilion in the East Wood, and that after a decorous lapse of time they would marry. He thought Colonel Grey uncommonly fortunate. Then he again wondered what had so perturbed them when he had been at the castle inquiring into the death of Lord Loudwater. What did they know of the mystery? What part had they played in it? Soon after he had left her, Olivia went to London to spend the weekend with her husband. But she did not go in her wonted joyful mood. She tried to thrust it out of her mind. But Mr. Flexen's visit had brought back her old fear. Gray at once perceived that she was not in good spirits, and he was a little alarmed. He had firmly kept his thought from the danger which still hung over them. Now he caught from her something of her uneasiness. But he would not yield to it, and by the end of dinner he had for the while at any rate banished it from both their minds. Then when he awoke that night quietly at the turning hour, he heard Olivia crying very softly. He put his arm around her and said seriously, What is it, darling? What's the matter? Oh, why ever did you kill him? she wailed. He wasn't worth it, and I'd have come to you without, and we might have been so happy. Gray, with a start, sat bolt upright, and in a tone of the last astonishment stammered, c kill him? Me? B but I thought you c killed him. He had never been so taken aback in his life. Olivia sat bolt upright in her turn. Me? she said in an astonishment fully as great as his. No, I didn't. Then with one accord they clung to one another and laughed tremulously in an immeasurable relief. Then Olivia said, And you didn't mind you married me when you actually thought I'd murdered Egbert? Oh, Egbert, said Gray in a tone of contempt, which placed the late Lord Loudwater definitely as a person the murder of whom was neither here nor there. Then he added, But hang it all, you married me when you actually thought I'd murdered him. I thought you did it for my sake, said Olivia, and I thought you did it for mine to get me out of a mess, though I'll be shot if I believe I should have cared if you'd done it entirely on your own account. Not that you could. Oh, Antony, how very fond of one another we must be, said Olivia, in a hushed voice. It was after breakfast next morning that Olivia, who stood before the window, smoking a cigarette and watching the passerbys, turned and said, But if neither you nor I murdered Egbert, who did? 
the mysterious woman i suppose said gray with very little show of interest in the matter but i never believed that there was any mysterious woman i thought the papers invented her said olivia so did i said gray but it's beginning to look to me as if there might have been one i wonder who she can be said olivia a barmaid i should think said gray in a tone which placed definitely the late lord loudwater as a lover you certainly do dislike egbert said olivia in a dispassionate tone of one stating a natural fact of little importance i do said gray it's odd how little i remember him said olivia thoughtfully but then i was always trying to forget him unless he was actually in the room with me and then i was always trying not to see him i remember the way he treated you said gray sternly olivia smiled at him i hope to goodness the police never do find that wretched woman he said olivia frowned thoughtfully then she smiled again i don't think it would be much use if they did she said i told mr flexen that i heard egbert snoring about twelve o'clock i didn't but i thought that as you went away about half-past eleven it would make it safer for you i could always stick to it if we thought it right and i told flexen that i didn't hear him snoring at about half-past eleven and i did i thought it would make it safer for you well we are said olivia and she laughed and then of a sudden her eyes sparkled and she cried but if you heard him snore at half-past eleven that lets the mysterious woman out she went away at a quarter past by jove so it does said gray three days later driving back in the evening from rickmansworth to low wycombe mr flexen passed gray on his way home from an afternoon's fishing he stopped the car and as gray came up to it he perceived that he was looking uncommonly well though his limp appeared to be as bad as ever he was not only looking well he was also looking happy wholly free from care they greeted one another and mr flexen said by jove you're looking fit yes i'm all right again said gray and then he frowned and added but the nuisance of it is that i shall always have this confounded limp you get off more lightly than a good many men i know said flexen sadly yes i'm not grousing much said gray then came a pause then gray said i've been rather hoping to come across you when you questioned me about my doings on the night of loudwater's death you asked me whether i heard him snore as i went through the library going in and out of the castle and for reasons which seemed quite good to me at the time I told you I didn't. As a matter of fact, he was snoring like a pig when I came out. Mr. Flexen looked at him hard, thinking quickly. Then he said softly, My goodness, that would be half-past eleven. Close on it, said Gray. Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't believe you, said Mr. Flexen frankly. In my business, you know, one acquires a very good ear for the truth. Gray laughed cheerfully and said, I expect you do. All the same, i'm glad to have it for certain said mr flexen smiling at him well i must be getting on let me give you a lift as far as loudwater gray thanked him and stepped into the car when he had set him down mr flexen drove on in frowning thought colonel gray was speaking the truth and in that case neither james hutchings nor the mysterious woman had committed the murder unless they had deliberately returned for the purpose he did not believe that james hutchings had returned he thought it improbable that the mysterious woman had returned even more important was the fact that this admission of colonel gray assured him that neither he nor lady loudwater had committed the murder 
Gray had evidently lied to shield her. He had no less evidently learned that she did not need shielding. That admission had not at all simplified the problem. The next morning Scotland Yard telegraphed to him the reply to its cable to Captain Shepard. It ran, Loudwater allowed Mrs. Helena Truslove Crest Loudwater six hundred a year and gave her Crest. He had the mysterious woman at last. He drove over to Crest at once and learned from the caretaker that Mrs. Truslove was now living in London in a flat at Clarence Gate. He could not get away from his work until the afternoon, and it was past half-past four when he knocked at the door of her flat. The maid led him down a passage, opened the door on the right, and announced him. Helena was sitting beside a table on which afternoon tea for two was set. She looked surprised to hear his name. Mrs. Truslove, he asked. I was Mrs. Truslove, she said, rising and holding out her hand, but now I am Mrs. Manley. You know my husband. He will be so pleased to see you again. I am expecting him every minute. Mr. Flexen was for a moment conscious of a slight sensation of vertigo. The mysterious woman was the wife of Herbert Manley. He could not at once see the bearing of this fact, but ideas, fancies, and suspicions raced one another through his head. He checked them, and said in a somewhat toneless voice, I shall be delighted to see him again. Have you been married long? Rather more than a fortnight, said Helena. But do sit down. My husband will be so pleased to see you again. He has a great admiration for you. Mr. Flexen sat down, and unconsciously stared hard at her. Ideas were jostling one another in his head. We won't wait for him. I'll have the tea made at once, she said, bending forward to press the bell button. One moment, please, he said, in his crispest, most official voice. I've come to see you on a very important matter. Oh, she said quickly, frowning. Then she looked at him with steady eyes. Yes, you know that I am investigating the Loudwater case, and I have received information that you are the mysterious lady who visited Lord Loudwater on the night of his death and had a violent quarrel with him. We began by quarrelling, she said quietly. Began by quarrelling, said Mr. Flexen. Yes. I'd better tell you the whole story, and you'll understand, she said, in a matter-of-fact voice. Rather more than two years ago, I was engaged to be married to Lord Loudwater. He broke off our engagement and married Miss Quainton. I was not going to stand that, and I was going to bring a breach of promise action against him. He didn't want that, of course. It would most likely have stopped his marrying Miss Quainton. So he agreed to make over the crest, my house, just beyond Loudwater, to me, and pay me an allowance of six hundred a year. That was two years ago, said Mr. Flexen. Yes, said Helena. But stupidly, though I had the house properly made over to me, I didn't have a deed about the allowance. And a few days before he committed suicide— Committed suicide? Mr. Flexen interrupted. Of course he committed suicide. Didn't Dr. Thornhill say that the wound might have been self-inflicted? Beside, poor Egbert had a most frightful temper. But why should he commit suicide, said Mr. Flexen? He may have been upset about Lady Loudwater and Colonel Grey. Why, I'm quite sure that it would drive him mad, absolutely mad for the time being. I know him well enough to be sure of that. 
yes yes said mr flexen slowly it's a tenable theory doubtless but about your quarrel with him a few days before he died he talked about having my allowance and of course i was frightfully annoyed about it i wanted to have it out with him i meant to but i knew that he'd never let me get near him if he could help it but i knew too that he sat in the smoking-room every evening after dinner and generally went to sleep you know everything about everyone in the country you know and i determined to take him by surprise and i did we did have a row for i was frightfully angry it seemed so mean but he stopped it by telling me that he had instructed his bankers we have the same bankers to pay twelve thousand pounds into my account instead of allowing me six hundred a year there was just the faintest change in her voice as she spoke the last sentence and it did not escape mr flexen's sensitive ear he thought that the whole story had been rehearsed it sounded so but she spoke the last sentence just a little more quickly the rest of the story rang true or at any rate truer twelve thousand pounds he said slowly and did lord loudwater tell you when he instructed his bankers no but it must have been that very day the letter must have been in the post in fact for two mornings later i received a letter from the bank telling me that they had credited me with that amount the morning after the inquest i think it was i see said mr flexen and he paused considering the story and then he said and were you surprised at all at his doing this yes i was she said frankly it didn't seem like him but since i have wondered whether he had made up his mind to commit suicide and wished to leave things quite straight it was a plausible theory but mr flexen did not believe that lord loudwater had committed suicide i suppose that your husband knows all about it he said at random he may and he may not he hadn't said anything to me about it she said then we may take it that he did not write the letter of instruction to the bankers said mr flexen oh he might have done and still have said nothing about it he has a very sensitive delicacy and might have thought it my business and not his i haven't told him about the twelve thousand pounds yet i don't bother him about business matters in fact i'm going to manage his business as well as my own and he didn't know about the allowance said mr flexen oh yes he did i told him all about that said helena quickly mr flexen paused considering he seemed to have learnt from her all she had to tell then came the sound of the opening of the door of the flat and of steps in the hall then the door of the room opened and mr manley came in mr flexen's eyes swept over him he was looking cheerful prosperous and rather sleek his air had grown even more important and assured he greeted mr flexen warmly and beamed on him then he demanded tea but mr flexen rose declared that he must be going and in spite of mr manley's protests went it had flashed on him that he might just catch mr carrington at his office end of chapter fifteen